Uh, hi there, Daryl Jenkins for Drone Economics. Welcome back. Uh, today we're going to be discussing Chapter 4, which is about uh, market structures. With this chapter, we're really getting into the meat now of what uh, microeconomics is all about. We're going to uh, today differentiate between micro and macroeconomics, two very important uh, concepts in economics that uh, uh, investors and managers and others who are in the drone industry need to uh, uh, understand. So let's get into this uh, very interesting discussion now. There's some different concepts we're going to put forth in uh, our discussion today. Uh, this chapter will introduce concepts related to how the commercial drone economics uh, industry or how they're commercially organized. We're going to give particular attention to monopolies, oligopolies, and competitive and monopolistic competition. And, and these various economic models are important for understanding how to make money because the market structure dictates how prices are set, how much control a manager investor has over pricing. Uh, for example, a monopolist uh, sets prices within limits of what people are willing to pay, whereas in a competitive marketplace, you're pretty much at the mercy of uh, the price that you have and you become a price taker. Uh, the, the number, what, what's interesting about a new industry, and we always refer to new industries as nascent, certainly drones, even though we've been in business now for uh, half a decade, um, still a, 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 a young, naive industry where we're learning uh, to move forward and getting our feet wet still. It's been interesting to me over the years going to conventions, uh, the thing that I hear most often from the entrepreneurs and the new managers are how difficult it is to get the price they want for their product and how different it is from, their initial, from the initial assumptions that they had uh, when they began this business. So welcome to reality. And I guess that's kind of the, the name of this chapter here is uh, uh, it's time to get realistic about what we can expect in terms of a price and what we can expect in terms of rates of return and how we manage this. And there are options. Now, the study of economics is divided into two main areas, as we uh, uh, mentioned earlier. You have macroeconomics, and think of that as kind of the big economics, and that's how governments work. All right. Macroeconomics is very important to understand. We're going to have a chapter on this uh, uh, later on um, because uh, uh, Anything that deals with aviation, uh, we have to understand macroeconomics. Everything we do is regulated. And we were regulated by large governments. So an understanding of macroeconomics and how these markets work is very, very important. Then you have little economics, which is kind of industrial. And that we refer to as microeconomics. And our discussion today is going to be on microeconomics and market structures. But it's very important that to understand and appreciate the difference between these two uh, branches of economics. We'll be dealing today uh, exclusively with uh, microeconomic structures. Uh, but, but just to go over this again, commercial drone economics deals with both. But today we're going to be concentrating on microeconomic issues. Entrepreneurs in, in any industry, whether it's drones or medical supplies or anything like that, Generally, people with uh, highly technical backgrounds and usually start out reasonably ignorant about pricing. And this is not surprising because their expertise and their ability to disrupt comes from uh, uh, other branches of knowledge. And uh, initially, they 
uh, talk to accountants and finance people who uh, talk to them about uh, uh, prices, which are usually set at a certain percentage above cost. There's really, I guess, in, in truth, nothing wrong with this. But the reality is, is that prices have to be uh, higher than cost, right? But how high they need to be and can be are two different things, aren't they? So the simple law of supply and demand dictates that if a marketplace supply of a product is increasing, its price will decrease. Now think about that just for a minute. As the supply of products to a market increases, and they're relatively similar, and, and at that point, uh, consumers have choices and they can choose any one of these. As that supply increases, prices are gonna go down. And that's what we're seeing all over the drone world right now, all right? Prices are going down, and the truth is, is they will continue to go down uh, over a long period of time. And if you read um, uh, uh, the annual reports of large tech companies like uh, Apple and others, so one thing that's always in the discussion is the fact that the, how much price pressure they are they're under. Well, get used to it. It will never, never end. That is the one thing that is, uh, is sure. Now, monopolies are seldom seen with new technologies. In the early stages of new technology, uh, um, uh, monopoly powers reside for only a short time. And we're gonna uh, uh, talk about that in uh, detail today. Early industrial development of any new product resides in a competitive uh, atmosphere. And so within the drone industry, uh, currently small firms dominate the drone manufacturing supply, even though there's some large firms out there like uh, DJ, uh, DJI, their market share is now beginning to decrease as we see uh, floods of imitations of that coming online. And, and other than DJI, most of the people who are involved in this who are very large uh, are concentrating on military uh, applications, uh, government contracts. So let's, let's talk about the different market structures and their characteristics. We're going to start out with uh, perfect competition. Well, nothing's perfect in this world. A competition is, is, is never perfect. Um, uh, we also have a monopolistic competition. Then we have oligopolies, which there are many in the United States and all around the world, and then monopolies. So let's start out our discussion with uh, perfect or pure uh, competition. And generally, there are four conditions uh, out there which dictate uh, if a market is competitive or not. The first one is many buyers and sellers. So you not only have to have many sellers out there, but you have to have many buyers. And we see an increasing market here. And the product is more or less homogenous, which means they're more or less similar to each other. Now, we're beginning to see uh, a fair amount of product differentiation. Now, aren't we? And this, this is good. This is when you move from co uh, competitive markets to monopolistic competition, where the products are no longer uh, identical. So we started out with quadcopters, then you have uh, six and eight rotors. Now we have fixed wings. You have fixed wings that can do vertical takeoff and landings. And so we're seeing a whole lot of products being uh, developed. We're seeing them developed with different um, uh, fuel sources. Uh, and all, all of this is important because as you differentiate your product from your others, you have more uh, pricing uh, power. Now, there are other uh, uh, conditions uh, for being a competitive market. Uh, and that is the ability to disseminate information. And the last one, there are very few barriers to entry or exit. 
So think of it right now. The standard for operating in the industry is, a part, is the FAA's Part 107 in the United States. And you have similar rules all over the world. It's a standard, but it's a very low standard. All right, now when we get the beyond visual line of sight in the United States, the FAA has, has decided that the benchmark at that time will be a Part 135 certificate. That is actually a real standard. And at that time, we will see uh, the industry change and it will change very, very much for the better. One of the issues, and we've talked about this in other chapters and we'll continue talking about it always, is the lack of standards. Lack of standards make it very difficult because then you have people out there uh, selling products who are, for lack of a kinder, gentler word, whack jobs. And the last thing you wanna be doing is competing against a whack job because they will bring everything to the lowest common denominator, which means that at the uh, end of the day, the people who buy the WAG Jobs product aren't getting anything of any value, and that will hurt you. That will always hurt you. There's nothing like having uh, a, a good competitors to make better products and uh, help an industry grow in terms of maturity and the ability to make uh, uh, sales. Monopolistic competition, which is one of the main concepts in this book, is, is, is very important. I want to spend some time on it. And it's the market situation in which independent sellers produce differentiated products. And that product differential is important because the product differential is what gives you a monopoly position. And that's what you want. Right. Now, everybody's probably always heard just you hear, you hear CEOs talk about how wonderful competition is. But, but as a trained economist, let me tell you something. Competition is fine, but as a manufacturer and a, a business owner, it really, really sucks because it drives your price down and it makes it harder and harder for you to make any money. And that's not what you want. And so the ability to create differentiated products and have a monopoly position, which in all candor is gonna be competed away after a couple of years, is the ideal situation. And the only way to maintain that over a long period of time, long periods of time, you know, we, we use terms like this, uh, long-term, short-term, long periods of time, uh, depending on how fast your uh, industry is advancing and how much uh, technological innovation there is within your industry. It can be very short sometimes. So uh, uh, constant innovation, continuous innovation is the landmark, it's the key mark. With, without this, you will not survive for very long. So your initial idea, as good as it may be, and as sound as it may be in your mind, uh, will not keep you going for more than a very, very short time. So just settle down and relax and understand that no matter how good of a product you be begin with, it's gonna have to get better over time. Continuous innovation is the key to success in a high-tech industry. Now, the next structure that we're gonna talk about for a very short time, because we don't see this anywhere in the horizon right now, is what we call an oligopoly. And it's a market structure in which two or three businesses dominate the uh, entire industry and they can effectively influence prices. Uh, think of everything other than drones in the aerospace industry. You know, you have uh, American Airlines dominates Dallas, uh, United dominates Chicago, uh, Delta dominates Atlanta. Gives them a great deal of uh, pricing power, doesn't it? 
All right. So and, and, and you hear this term all the time, tacit collusion or uh, a cartel. Tac uh, collusion amongst competitors is illegal. So tacitly, companies find ways of kind of sending signals out to each other one way or another, which tell the competitors what's, what they're doing and to kind of stay away from that. Now, the last uh, one we're going to talk about is a, a monopoly. And in a monopoly, you have one or very few producers, and it's for a product for which there is no choice. All right. And that gives you a significant degree of power over pricing. Now, generally, most monopolies uh, in the United States and other in other countries as well are, are, are uh, regulated. So think of a uh, uh, how many choices for utilities you have within a small geographic area. And, and, and their prices are set by uh, regulatory boards. And generally, that is the uh, uh, sign of a monopolist. So in the short term, I'm going into a longer term. There are very few barriers to entry right now. When we get to beyond visual line of sight, we have part 135 regulations. That is, in fact, a barrier to entry. It's a significant barrier to entry because it will uh, uh, include a great deal of regulation. Uh, so those entering the market at that time wishing to do beyond visual line of life services will have to uh, have lawyers. They will have to have uh, very good pilots. They'll have to have manuals. They'll have to have training. They'll have to have recurrent training. They'll actually have to know what they're doing. And that that is a, a worthy standard. All right. Barriers to exit are easy. Uh, all you have to do is shut your doors. Now let's introduce some terms uh, which which we use a lot. And when we get to chapter eight in this book, the, the final chapter, we'll go into this uh, uh, in, in greater detail. Uh, uh, you'll hear the term normal rate of return. Normal rate of return is what a market will give you. So if you're investing in a uh, an index, uh, of stocks uh, for the Standard & Poor, for uh, the Dow Jones or anything like that, the, uh, the rate of return that you get over a long period of time, like 10 years, that's a normal rate of return. Now, this is different from an expected rate of return. The, pe the reason people do startups is they don't want to, well, for a lot of reasons, there's an, an enormous amount of personality involved here, all right? But uh, on the economic side, they are expecting a higher than normal rate of return, okay? Uh, by, by starting their own business, taking it from scratch, they put in a, an enormous amount of sweat equity. They have a good idea. It succeeds in the marketplace, and five years from now, a Lockheed Irvine buys them for 20 times uh, what you paid the startup, okay? It's a higher than normal rate of return, and that's what people expect who are entrepreneurs in, in an industry like commercial drones or hobbyist drones or anything along this line. They expect a higher than normal rate of return. Now, the difference between the normal rate of return and the expected rate of return is kind of your opportunity cost, isn't it? So if you were to take this own money that you're investing right now and invest it somewhere else, and that gives you a normal rate of return, that that would have been your opportunity cost. So let's say you have $100,000 and you plow that into your new startup here. Uh, and you could have put that money elsewhere. 
that's your opportunity cost, all right? Let's just go over this again as we're concluding now, because this is this is an important concept, and important concepts need to be repeated, all right? Continuous innovation. Investor ex will seek to identify opportunities that offers an above market rate of return for a short term. And let's identify this now. Three to five years is an enormously long time in a uh, high-tech industry. And that may be the long term, okay? So if you have an innovation which is good enough to give you a higher rate of return, and that lasts for three to five years, you've done excessively well, and congratulations to you. Such an opportunity is a worthwhile investment. The issue is how to maintain that higher than normal rate of return, and the answer lies in continuous innovation, which keeps the entrepreneur in business of a higher than normal uh, uh, growth uh, rates. The whole issue on this is you can never be satisfied with what you're doing. Um, if, if you were looking for self-satisfaction and gratification, this is not where you should be, right? To, to, to have continuous innovation, you have to be excessively critical of yourself and be able to accept a great deal of peer criticism, watch markets, uh, understand innovations, and be ahead of everybody else. Not an easy task, is it? This is why so many people fail. Let's give you some thoughts here to remember. Disruptive products do not come with assurances. So just because your product is in a disruptive industry does not guarantee that you will be successful. People fail in this all the time. Uh, the number of failures, I mean, we I have seen bright people come through here and, and not be successful. I've seen some people who are less than bright uh, come, uh, come here and, and, and make it. Just because it's a disruptive industry does not guarantee success. Neither does first to market. And first to lead, lead to long-term market um, uh, stability. Think of the Palm Pilot. Uh, think of the Blackberry. I remember when Blackberries came out, uh, and I can't even remember how long ago it was now. It was, it's, it's in the 2000s, so it's in the new um, uh, century here. And people were so fascinated with them, they called them crackberries. And people were having issues uh, going to emergency rooms with uh, thumb problems uh, using the small type for the first time in their life. All right, well, uh, the iPhone came along, totally and completely disrupted the Palm Pilots. And you don't see Palm Pilots any, any longer. And they were a market leader who did not innovate. I don't even know if that company's still in existence. I saw some press releases from them some years ago that they were uh, um, trying to adopt to the new realities. But let me tell you, being in a disruptive technology is hard on the psyche because it's easy to think, even though you have something successful at the time, that it might not be successful a couple years down the road. And so the need to be looking forward continuously um, is vitally important. Now, the thing that we need to be uh, asking ourselves right now, this is kind of the ultimate question is drones, what's going to disrupt us? Okay, what, what are the disruptions coming our way? And what what is there lingering out there right now? Because there's always something out there by some uh, uh, aggressively, uh, excessively intelligent young kid who's going to disrupt the crap out of this business. What is it, right? What, what is it? Well, 
I think going towards autonomy will be a disruptive on all of us, but the economic pressures are such that the industry is currently trending towards that. When we get to beyond visual line of sight, we'll see even uh, uh, more pressures coming towards autonomy. Whether we will become fully autonomous sometime in my lifetime, I don't know, but the, certainly the pressures are there. Certainly the technologies are there as well. The issue is uh, being able to make things small enough that they fit in a whatever configuration of uh, a platform we're using at that time. I've enjoyed this uh, very much. If you have any questions or would like to discuss this in more detail with me, uh, you can reach me at airjenkins at AOL.com. Uh, thank you for uh, spending the time with us today, and I wish you the best in your, vision, in your business ventures. Thank you very much.